Computer, initialize Holosuite. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Sci-Fi Feminist Podcast. Thank you so much for listening up to this point, for all your support. Today, I'm going to skip all of the introductions and formalities, and I'm going to get right into the episode because I'm so excited about today's topic. As you might have seen, today's topic is none other than the most awesome, most beautiful, uh, most smart, and most skeptical Dana Scully from The X-Files. Now, actually, um, it's really about time that I do an episode on her because she's such a significant character in terms of women's representation in STEM, especially. And as a second wave feminist character too, she has had a very big impact and influence on the types of representations that we still see of women today. So sorry for taking so long to talk about her. Actually, what happened was I only started watching The X-Files very recently. I'm now at season five, but I started maybe about a few months ago to watch it. I don't know why it took me so long. It's totally up my alley. And, um, you know, even though I've watched Star Trek Voyager like three times, <laughs> that's like all seven seasons, three times, I never got to The X-Files. So... Yes, I'm sorry for taking so long to talk about Scully, but I think I've watched enough to be able to talk about her in uh, yeah, being well informed about her representation. Now, first of all, uh, I'm a total Scully Mulder shipper <laughs> after watching it. I'm quite invested in their relationship and I read somewhere that it's only in a later season that they actually get together. So I'm interested to see how their relationship develops and what this means for Scully. But I have a feeling that even a romantic relationship with Mulder is definitely not going to take away from her subversive potential and from her as a feminist character. So Maybe I'll do another episode when I get to season, is it eight, <laughs> when they get together, I'm not sure. But for today, I will talk about Dana Scully as the following in the tradition of the early liberal feminists and the tradition of sci-fi heroines from the 1980s to the 1990s. So those include Ellen Ripley, Sarah Connor, and Catherine, Captain Catherine Janeway from Star Trek Voyager. And I've done episodes on all of them before. I think it's episodes two to five. If you would like to learn more about early liberal feminism especially and these sci-fi heroines, then head back to those earlier episodes. Today, I will focus then uh, on Dana Scully as a scientist, as a working woman, as a mother, and also as a feminist character in terms of her physical representation. So um, her suits <laughs> that she wears so stylishly, um, what she is portrayed as in general or how she is portrayed. So yes, I hope you look forward to today's episode as much as I do. And then, yeah, let me get right into it. So as I mentioned, Dana Scully follows in the tradition of 
the I call them the second wave power women because these characters in science fiction especially like Ellen Ripley, Sarah Connor and Catherine Janeway, they exemplify the ideals of the early liberal feminists. Now, er early liberal feminism, maybe let me give some background on that first. It was kind of a feminism movement. It forms part of the second wave of feminism. It's kind of one branch of second wave feminism. And it was most prolific in the 1960s and 1970s. Actually, the TV show Mrs. America that feed, that stars Kate Blanchett, which I thoroughly enjoyed, provides a very good context and background of early liberal feminism and second wave feminism, especially. So, if you want to know more about that or about the type of zeitgeist that they existed in or, you know, the type of women's issues that they dealt with, uh, then watch that series. And of course, Kate Blanchett is absolutely wonderful. But basically, the key premise of the early liberal feminists, it was kind of initiated by Betty Friedan when she wrote a very influential text called The Feminine Mystique. Now, in that book, I didn't read the whole book. I read most of it because <laughs> I'm a lazy reader. But in The Feminine Mystique, Betty Friedan basically calls for women to re-enter the workforce. So in the 1950s, 1960s, after the war, many women were confined to the home raising children and being housewives. And then in representations of women in ads and things, we also see them stereotyped as homemakers. The idea that women are good at doing the dishes and raising children at vacuuming the floor because they are women. So Betty Friedan really questioned this in her book, The Feminine Mystique. And I also enjoyed that book because it's not written in any complicated way. It's actually a very interesting and straightforward read, which I enjoyed. So that book is basically a call for women to enter the workforce. And like I have said about Captain Janeway, Ellen Ripley, maybe not as much Sarah Connor, but we see many depictions of women in science fiction as workers, actually as career women. We see Ellen Ripley is a blue collar worker on the Nostromo and Captain Janeway, she leaves behind her fiance and their dog with the dog's puppies. She leaves everything behind to pursue her Starfleet career as a Starfleet officer or Starfleet captain. And we see the same with Dana Scully. There's a very interesting episode in season one already that really establishes this love for her career that Scully has. So basically what happens in this episode, I'm not going to give the episode names because I forgot them. I don't know them off by heart like I do the Voyager episodes. But basically what happens in this episode, Scully kind of goes on a date and this is like in the beginning of her and Mulder's relationship. So she's still very skeptical about his work and she's still trying to disprove everything Mulder says and does as she was assigned to do by the, we find out later, mysterious old men, old white men in power. But in this episode, we see at the end of the episode, so she kind of goes on a date with this guy and, you know, it's okay. Uh, he's a nice guy. And 
I think it's on the second date, the time with her second date. Then Mulder calls and he's like, you know, can you come and help me with this thing? And then she's like, am I going to cancel my date or am I going to go with Mulder? And then she actually cancels her date and she goes with Mulder to work because her career is that important for her. And I also think because she realized maybe to some degree, maybe not realized the value of Mulder's work that early. But, you know, we can see that she chooses her career over any personal commitments or any relationships or anything like that so throughout then up to season five where I am now she basically stays alone and we see that whenever she's with her family if Mulder calls and work needs to be done she goes and she does the work her work always takes precedent over anything else now I recently watched a very interesting episode in season five where okay it it, this is hard to explain, but uh, through some, after her abduction in season one, Scully, uh, she she gave birth to a child somehow. <laughs> okay, so obviously she wasn't pregnant. This was an abduction baby. So when she meets the child, the child is about three or four years old. And then she wants to adopt the girl. Actually, she doesn't realize it's her child at first, but then they do a genetic test and then turns out it is Scully's daughter. And Scully wants to adopt, adopt her. So, yeah, not abduct her like Scully was, but adopt her. And then the social worker tells Scully, um, you cannot, you know, your, your application is denied because, first of all, you're in a very dangerous type of job. And she also indicates that you're single, you've never been married before. And also that she says it, she even articulates, she says that your job is probably too important for you. It's not something you're willing to to sacrifice for this child. And then of course, Scully is like, no, it's not true. You know, I will. But in the end, Scully always chooses her job above everything else. And I think that is quite apt and quite significant because it really speaks to that second wave notion that women should work, women should have careers, women shouldn't be housewives. And that is what we see in Dana Scully. Then that leads to the next very important part of Scully, which is her scientific excellence. She's obviously the better scientist between her and Mulder. Actually, it seems like he's not quite a scientist at all. And we often see Scully in her scrubs. She's a medical doctor and her thesis was like disproving Einstein. (laughs) So science is a very big part of Scully. And I think that is why she's become such a significant figure for women in STEM. And I think she must have inspired many young women at that time to actually go into scientific careers because um, Scully is just such a scientist. And it's so interesting how Mulder is always the one to believe in these fantastical things, (laughs) these things that don't make any sense, these totally irrational things, which women are often portrayed to believe in. And then Scully, who is a woman, she is the complete opposite. She is rational. She's logical. Everything needs to be proven scientifically. If it cannot be proven scientifically, she doesn't believe it and she doesn't take it. And I think that's why, obviously, there's a lot of 
fights between her and Mulder over these types of things. And that's also why she takes so long to actually warm up to Mulder after she realizes that, you know, science cannot explain everything. But there's, of course, the stereotype that women are illogical, irrational. <laughs> women can't be scientists. Women are closer to the earth. And because they're closer to the earth, because they can give birth, they're more hormonal, they're more emotional. We see um, Scully subvert all of these types of stereotypes. Of course, she has emotional moments too, but she as a scientist is very subversive and it really shows a very positive representation of women as scientists. And this is actually also a, an early liberal feminist issue. Early liberal feminists towards the end of the 1980s, 1990s, a lot of the feminist projects was concerned with re-establishing women within science. That is to say that women can be good scientists and also that, you know, science is not a masculine domain because men are naturally scientific, but women have been excluded from science because it has been annexed by patriarchy for so many decades. So what Scully then does as a scientist is she really subverts that idea and she really puts women back into science. And I love how Scully is so determined with her science. She's so stubborn. And sometimes it's quite annoying or frustrating because, you know, Scully, obviously in the one episode, she literally sees aliens. And then the next episode, she's like, aliens don't exist. That's not scientifically possible. So at some point, her skepticism gets a little bit annoying, but I guess it makes a very good point, you know, that she's really unfaltering in her scientific ideals. What's very interesting, too, is that despite this hard scientist that Scully is, she's also quite religious. <laughs> and there was this one episode where there was this person performing miracles and Scully actually saw some really miraculous thing happen. I think it was the episode where the boy, his hands would start bleeding like uh, Christ was crucified, you know, his hands would bleed. So it was a more like religious type of episode. And then I remember telling myself, oh, you know, Mulder believes in aliens and Scully believes in God. And then it makes it sound like, you know, both are, are so out there, which I, I thought the, the show did quite cleverly and did it in a, a quite an interesting way so and then throughout we see Scully have these very spiritual experiences it was quite interesting for me the episode where her cancer finally gets cured that she you know the implant is put in her neck and she doesn't get better and then after the priest comes to pray for her she gets better so it's kind of implied that it was her religion that healed her and maybe not necessarily science. But then, you know, we don't know. <laughs> we can go either way. So I find this play between Scully as this hard scientist and her as quite a religious person. You know, she always wears the cross too, as quite interesting. And I think that really adds to her character. I'm not sure what that means for her as a feminist, but... I guess it's just nice to watch how her beliefs are sometimes questioned and how she kind of leans from one thing 
to the next. Sometimes she believes in science, sometimes she believes in God, and sometimes both of these things are, you know, the interplay is quite interesting. But I'm getting off topic now. <laughs> Let's get back to Scully as a feminist. Okay, so then the second thing I would then like to point out is her physical representation. So, as you know, from around the late 1990s, early 2000s, we saw lots of very sexualized heroines started appearing. So those are the likes of Laura Croft, we have the Charlie's Angels, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We had all these really young and very sexy and very feminine heroines. And they form part of the post-feminist Supergirl tradition. I'm not going to elaborate on that now because it's beyond <laughs> the scope of this episode. But listen to the episode on Laura Croft if you would like to know more about that. That is quite interesting in itself. But what we see about Scully is that similar to Ellen Ripley, Catherine Janeway and Sarah Connor, Scully is not sexualized at all. Scully is always in these very classy, I think, <laughs> suits and a trench coat and there's really very rarely if ever any emphasis placed on her as a sexual character or as someone who uses her sexuality for anything. Scully seems really uninterested in any romantic relationships like I've indicated about um, you know when she declines her date to to pursue her career and also you know there are many quite sweet moments I think where Mulder kind of tries to flirt with Scully <laughs> or he tries to do something for her and then she really kind of just brushes it off like it's nothing so Scully is very I wouldn't say hesitant to express her sexuality but her appeal as a heroine is definitely not based on her sex appeal. Although Gillian Anderson is, of course, very gorgeous, she's quite beautiful, but we never see emphasis placed on her breasts, her hips, her waist, her arms don't usually show, we don't see her legs. She is very much androgynous and she is most of the time portrayed in her FBI suits. And then, like I also said, she doesn't use her sexuality to achieve her goals, like many heroines like the Charlie's Angels especially do. Even in the 2019 version of the film, they still do that. But Scully uses her brains, <laughs> she uses her scientific excellence, and she also uses her, her ability to fight and her status as an FBI agent as, and her gun to achieve her goals, to solve problems, to do everything that she does as an agent. She's definitely not a sexualized FBI agent. I might take this time to compare her to Miss Congeniality, who is, of course, uh, I forgot the, the name of the character of Miss Congeniality. Is it? I know the actress... <laughs> Now I forgot the actress's name too, but you know who I'm talking. Oh, is it Grace? I'm not sure. Grace Parker? I'm not sure. I'm not going to waste your time trying to figure out who was Miss Congeniality. But in that movie, we see a also an FBI agent who 
kind of transforms into this feminine, you know, who is encouraged to embrace her femininity. And because she embraces her femininity and takes part in the beauty pageant, she then wins the pageant and saves the day. But Scully does the exact opposite. <laughs> Scully does not do that. Scully does not deny these rather more masculine characteristics of herself but she uses all of these things to achieve her goals and she doesn't use her femininity or her sexuality right so then that makes me move on to the next point which is scully's femininity and especially scully as a a mother now as i've argued before about Sarah Connor, Catherine Janeway, and Ellen Ripley, is that although these heroines are quite masculine and they embody many early liberal feminist ideals, which relate to androgyny and women working, they are also quite feminine in many ways. Now, you'll ask me, where are they feminine? Because like I just scared, said, Scully doesn't use any form of femininity or sexuality to achieve her goals. But what I found so interesting is that like Ellen Ripley, Sarah Connor and Captain Janeway, Scully and motherhood is a topic that is often explored in the X-Files episodes. Now, let me briefly elaborate on that a little bit. Towards the end of the 20th century, so this is like the 1990s, you know, late 1990s, even starting in the late 1980s, there was another school of second wave feminism that kind of started to emerge. Now, where early liberal feminism saw women's empowerment as basically being the same as men, which we kind of see Scully do, um, she, she's very masculine in many aspects. And, uh, the other, the other part of the second wave was, of course, radical feminism, which I'm not really going to go into today. But the third one, and this emerged towards the end of the century, was cultural feminism. Now, cultural feminism, it's also called social feminism, if I'm not mistaken. And this is actually something I was not aware about. I think if we think second wave feminism, everyone thinks oh, radical feminism <laughs> or maybe even early liberal feminism. But cultural feminism is very interesting because it's a difference feminism. Now, what I mean by that is that where feminisms like early liberal feminism and radical feminism saw the key to women's emancipation as basically becoming the, the same as men, you know, having masculine characteristics, being able to do everything that men can do or showing that women are able to do everything that men can do. Cultural feminism embraces women's femininity. And it says that actually femininity and especially motherhood, those things are the key to women's liberation. Now, that is why cultural feminism, you know, both all of these feminisms have different criticisms lodged against them. But one criticism against cultural feminism is, of course, that it suggests that all women should be mothers or women are always linked to motherhood. So what's quite interesting is that even the other three characters I mentioned, Ellen Ripley, she's also 
portrayed as a mother, despite all her toughness, all her logical thinking, all her androgyny, despite all of that, she is still framed as a mother. So let me briefly elaborate on that. In the first Alien movie, we see Ripley uh, taking care of the cat, Jonesy. Then in the second Alien movie called Aliens, Ripley kind of adopts a little girl named Newt. And then in the third one, Ripley is the womb for the alien queen. And then in the fourth one, she kind of gives birth to this alien-human hybrid thing called the newborn. So Ellen Ripley is always portrayed as a mother. And of course, Sarah Connor famously stands for being the mother of John Connor, who is the savior of humankind in the future. And also Catherine Janeway, she is the mother of the Voyager crew. Even Q says that you are certainly this crew's mommy. I think he uses the word mommy because it's Q. So all of these heroines, these second wave power women, these super tough, androgynous, scientific, straightforward women, all of them are portrayed as mothers. Now, where early liberal feminists would say that this is problematic and, you know, it's because of motherhood that women are have been confined to the home in the first place because women are expected to raise children. You know, this is the thing that have oppressed women since the beginning. You know, they have all these things that they hate about women as mothers. I think that's why many radical feminists have often been stereotyped as being lesbians or even man-hating because you know, they they deny especially motherhood. What cultural feminists say is that actually motherhood is the key to women's empowerment. It is the main source of women's strength because women only and not men can give birth to children. You know, this is something that only women can do. And they say that patriarchy has institutionalized motherhood to be something that subjugates women, something that oppresses them. But originally, motherhood was the source of women's power. And then this one theorist, her name is Adrienne Rich, uh, she wrote this book called Of Women Born. And again, a very easy read, actually. Very nice book. She said that, you know, it wasn't always this way. Actually, in like very ancient civilizations, women and motherhood, that was their power. It's only because patriarchy has institutionalized motherhood that it has become something that oppresses women. So what does this have to do with Scully? Well, (laughs) maybe not in the beginning, but some theme that I continually see and that I'm seeing appearing more in later episodes as I approach season five, season six, is this grappling with Scully as a mother. So obviously she's never been married and she has always put her career first. She's also, of course, then not had any children. But then in the season five episode, it turns out that The alien somehow impregnated her and that she in fact had a baby and it was this little girl. And what I found interesting in this episode is that she visits her brother's house and then her brother's wife is pregnant. And then Scully confides in her mom and Scully says, you know, mom, I never thought I wanted a child 
because, uh, yeah, sorry, let me explain this properly. After her abduction, Scully has become infertile. So after she was abducted by the alien, she could not give birth to children, even if she wanted to. So then she kind of tells her mom, mom, you know, after my abduction, I can't have children. And then she says, I never knew how much I wanted children until it is something that I could not have. And that moment I felt, of course, quite sorry for Scully, but I also found it quite fascinating how then they deal with this issue of motherhood for Scully. So then Scully tries to adopt this girl that is technically actually her biological daughter. And then unfortunately the girl dies at the end of the episode and that is that. But we see Scully explore the idea of motherhood and we see that Scully actually wants to be a mother. It's not something she denies, but you know that it's just not something that she could have had. And then what's even more interesting is that we are talking here about adopting children and not necessarily having a biological child of her own and forming a nuclear family. Now, this might also require some explanation. <laughs> Another thing that the cultural feminists said was that, you know, when motherhood is institutionalized, it's usually part of a nuclear family structure. So the nuclear family is basically mom, dad, one or two children. That's nuclear family. But they then say, and other theorists, they're called, I think it's Sarah Bach and Jessica Langer, they argued about Ellen Ripley that the fact that she is an adoptive mother to the little girl, Newt, in Aliens, that is what makes her empowering because it's not this biological motherhood that forces women to give up parts of themselves to love the child, to sacrifice themselves for the child, but it is rather a chosen motherhood, a cultural motherhood that Ripley has as an adoptive mother. Now, of course, you know, these arguments aren't foolproof. <laughs> you know, you can also, you know, having a biological child is not always the thing that, you know, is the doom of women. <laughs> I don't agree with that. But it's interesting, too, that Scully can't have biological children, but that she obviously has, she wanted to adopt this child. And, of course, that she had this child outside of marriage. You know, she didn't even actually sleep with the man to have the child. The child was created in a test tube without her knowledge. So that really places Scully outside of this nuclear family structure that supposedly oppresses women. You know, I'm not suggesting that all women in a nuclear family are oppressed. Um, you know, I think these arguments have changed quite a lot because the situation has changed. But you can imagine for women writing in the 1960s, where most women were housewives by the age of 18 or 19, you know, they would have thought this way. So, yeah, that's a disclaimer. You know, I really don't think marriage is bad or anything like that. I'm just saying what other people have said. But it's quite interesting that Dana Scully is then also framed as an adoptive mother. I know later she has an alien baby, and I'm not sure if it's actually Mulder's baby. Um, I still need to get there. But from what I understand is that that's also some sort of a miraculous, or not miraculous, but maybe, 
yeah, um, not a, a biological or traditional way of conceiving a child, how Scully gets that baby. So yes, in terms of motherhood then, Scully would represent what cultural feminists would see as motherhood or ideal motherhood, which is motherhood outside of the institution of patriarchy and also motherhood outside of the nuclear family unit. So yes, you can see that Dana Scully is very much similar in many ways to the other, what I call second wave power woman in science fiction that emerged in the 1980s and 1990s. And I really think what I like is that even up to season 11, she kind of upheld that. There was no point where Scuddy suddenly became sexualized, <laughs> like we see happens with Wonder Woman, for example, who is a character that's 80 years old now, but who was very sexualized when she first appeared in the 40s, and then underwent a makeover in the 70s, where she was suddenly a working woman and a detective at night, working woman at day, detective at night, keeping in line with liberal feminism, and then who becomes super sexualized in 1990 again. So Scully kind of stays the same, and she stays consistent. And yeah, I really think overall, she is really a very good representation of women in pop culture of course she has some issues but I don't even want to go into that because I'm just enjoying the character so much so yes that's my take on Dana Scully I would love to hear your feedback if you have any thank you once again for listening I would just like to briefly point out that I am on Patreon if you would like to see receive some extra perks or support the podcast I also have Sci-Fi Feminist YouTube channel on which I post some very fun and interesting extra content once a week too. And hopefully I will soon start doing comic book reviews on the YouTube channel. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter and all those places. So thank you for supporting the podcast. Thank you for listening. And then I will be back next week to discuss the Black Widow movie, which is out to release very soon. So I'm excited for that too. Thank you for listening. Live long and prosper, or shall I say the truth is out there. <laughs> and um, hope everyone has a really nice week ahead. And take care. This is the Sci-Fi Feminist signing off. Bye-bye. This show is brought to you by Hollow Sweet Media. Computer. List other available Holosuite media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, The Fluffernutter, an expeditionary force podcast. One of the best parts of the book is when Joe introduces Skippy once they hit orbit. <laughs> <laughs> he changes his skin to, was it, Bud Light? And it says absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, was, that was hysterical. That was absolutely hysterical. And why And why did he choose Bud Light? Oh, Joe asked this question. It's just like, how does he know so much about Earth culture? Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Blast Shield, a Star Trek Lower Decks podcast. I think we all thought Ransom was going to go into that fight scene, thinking that it was game over before it even started and he was going to lose. But I think the moment he rips his uniform off, <laughs> yeah. which is hard anyway to rip a shirt, but to rip an actual, like, jacket like that mm. pretty impressive and then he had like 
about, I don't know, I think it's like 62 abs. He just looked ripped. And then he was just like, you know, a little bit of this. Yeah. A little bit of that. I was just going to say, it was the way that he also narrated it. It was just perfect. It was great. Ransom definitely went to the school of Kirk Fu. Ransom Fu, maybe we should be calling it. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.